0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Man, I love that we're a church that's not afraid of a little twang. That's fun. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you. We, we long to learn from you this morning. And so, Spirit, would you stir our hearts? Would you uh, mess with us a little bit? Uh, we're inviting you to move, to change us, that we might look more like Jesus. It's in his powerful, precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. Up until um, two Wednesdays ago, I held a title in my home that now that it's gone, I've realized I deeply and dearly loved. It was the title of being the only driver in our house that had not gotten into an accident and totaled one of our cars. Well, that all changed uh, on my way to work uh, two Wednesdays ago. I was at a stoplight. I was the first in line, and uh, the light turned green, and my son started crying in the back seat. I looked in the rearview mirror, noticed his pacifier was out, and I started to dig around in the back seat um, while I was driving, of course, because we wouldn't want to stop to do that, um, And so I was going, and and the light in front of me was green also, and I figured that the cars were going to start going. And when I looked back at the road, the cars were going nowhere, and I hit the brakes right before I hit the car in front of me. Not exactly my brightest moment. I was stood on Broadway, and uh, at least five or six of you passed me. You let me know because you posted on my Facebook wall, Hey, you moron, I just saw you on the side of Broadway. Thank you. I appreciate you and love you too. No, I'm just kidding. You're very kind. You're very kind. Uh, As I've studied though this book of Acts, I see all around uh, the story of the early church, these these sort of these crashes where life is just going a certain direction and all of a sudden things change and all of a sudden things are different and, and, and your story may be similar. That life at one point in time was going a certain direction, and then there was just a stop. I mean, you do know, don't you, that we're all one phone call away from our lives being completely changed. It's a pretty humbling reality to live in. And as a, as a pastor, one of the things that I'm privileged to do is to interact with people who, who get to that point in life, where, where they just say, the wheels are falling off, and there's the, it's, just, it's a crash, it's a mess, it's a... Help me out, help me out. Can I tell you the the number one thing that most people come in and talk to me about? The number one thing that most people say, hey, life just isn't going the direction that I wanted it to, that my hopes and my dreams and my thoughts about what the future looks like are completely different. The one area that the most people come and interact with me about is in the area of relationships. It's as though we're just wired for them and we have such a hard time doing them. I don't, know if you can, I don't know if you can relate. Maybe with the holidays coming up, you have this picture in mind of like, oh, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, let's do this again. Where, where we want so badly. I don't know if there's any area that there's more hope and despair circle around it. More joy and more pain. More answers and more questions. In any other area in our life, I think that relationships are and hold that place And that kind of power in our life. And and the trouble with having a faith in real life is that it's met with real people. People who sometimes hurt us. People who sometimes go a different direction. Sometimes they don't hold up their end of the bargain. And so wouldn't it be great if the scriptures sort of told us how we navigate that? You see, here's one of the interesting things about the early church. We can go back and we can read the end of the story in a sense and, and go, hey, we're here. So whatever they did worked. Can I invite you to just imagine for a moment, if they didn't get right what we're going to talk about today, I don't know if you and I sit here at least in the same way this morning that we do. Because here's what we're going to see. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see some crashes this morning. We're going to see some throwing up of the hands of the early church and going, listen, we don't exactly know where to go from here because we thought that we were together in this and we're actually apart. And what I want to do is I want to paint three pictures for you. I want to paint three pictures from the story of the early church about what relationships sometimes look like. And my guess is that you've had at least one, maybe all three of these types of relationships present in your life. And here's the truth of the matter. Will you listen really hard here? Here's the truth of the matter. Every single person, if we live long enough, every single person in this room is going to walk through difficulties and pain in relationships. It's just a part of being human. The question is, will we walk through it well and will we walk through it in a way that brings and breathes life into us? Or will we walk through it poorly in a way that just paralyzes us? Here's the big idea I'd like to wrap our hearts and our minds around this morning, and it's this. It's a simple idea, but here, here, here it is. Let me just throw it out there, that a healthy understanding of relationships and, and the way that God's uniquely wired and programmed us and the way that that wiring and program meets a real world with real people in it. A healthy understanding of relationships frees us to grow in grace. And if we don't have that, the opposite side of that is if we have a perspective of relationships and the way that God's wired us that's off, if if we're not ready for one of the three things that's coming at us that we're going to look at this morning, I think it has the ability to not only stall us but to cripple us, to be one of those crashes that, that we sit sort of in life and we just go, I just can't get over that. And the difference between people who walk through difficult relational circumstances in a way that brings life and joy and peace and wholeness to them and the, and the people that don't, that walk through difficult relationships in a way that paralyzes and stalls them, the only difference that I've seen in my interaction with people and what I can read and what I can study is the way and their perspective of what happened. It's not actually what happened. It's the way they process it. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to look at the scriptures with me, to maybe believe for the first time this morning that, that God has a, a bigger perspective than us and that even in the early church, they wrestled with some of the same things you and I did, do. And maybe the way that they responded to them was a little bit different. I think if they'd responded in the way that we often do, the church just maybe might have been grounded on takeoff. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna look at three different pictures, three different types of relationships that most of us have. We're gonna look at the fears that are associated with them. And we're gonna look at the way that God often brings freedom and longs for us to walk in the joy as we follow him. Acts chapter 15, let's jump in. Let me give you a little bit of a summary of of where we find ourselves. If you were here last week, you, you heard us teach through what we call the Jerusalem Council. It was where this church at Antioch went down and interacted with a church in Jerusalem. The church in Antioch was on one side of the proverbial line in the sand, and they believed because of what they'd seen that Jesus was the only way, and all that you needed was him. It was, it was faith in Jesus alone that brought about salvation. Well, the church in Jerusalem, you had this other group, this group of uh, what they called Pharisee Christians, these Pharisees that had become followers of Jesus. And they said, yes, Jesus is great, but you need to add to that circumcision and observance of the law. And so you had these two different people, these two different beliefs, these two different convictions, both claiming to be followers of the way of Jesus, and yet believing very different things. Listen to the way that they responded. Verse 6 of chapter 15. First picture. It says, And the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So the church in Antioch, they send a group of people, Paul and Barnabas being part of this group, 250 miles down to talk with the church at Jerusalem. Now, now just let me just lob it out there. What a concept. I mean... People on different sides of the aisle talking. Wow. Yeah, I'll just let that sit there for a second. Verse 7, and after there had been much debate. So people from different sides of the aisle with different convictions. And, and just a quick side note, for the Jewish Christians, what they're being challenged with is not an insignificant thing. What they're being challenged with is their very way of life, their very perspective of what it means to be the people of God. What they're being challenged with is everything that they've known and believed growing up. And what the Antioch church is being challenged with is everything they've seen God do. So for both of these parties to sit down around the proverbial table and say, let's have a conversation about this. Let's have a debate about this. Let's both bring what we've seen, what we've read, what we've experienced, let's bring it all to the table and have a talk about it is earth shattering. Is it not? I mean, because here's the deal. In our time, in our place, this does not happen very often, does it? Because far before we'd like to get to the table with another person, we'd probably write a blog about them first, right? Or send out a Facebook thing or tweet something or maybe I'll get together with you at some point. But I'm going to gather my contingency of people that agree with me first and then maybe I'll have my conversation once I have enough ammo the early church, here's, what, here's their picture. Here's this picture of relationships where they go, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to sit down at the table and we're going to have a conversation. And maybe just maybe they didn't believe some of the lies that we believe. Here, here's the way that, that Pastor Rick Warren puts it. And I think he says it really well. He says our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense, he says. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And can I just say, the early church, they lived this so well. They lived this so well, and they lived out a picture of one of the relationships that you and I will inevitably find ourselves in in life if we allow it, and it's this. It's this refining type of relationship, this perfecting type of relationship The type of friendship, the type of marriage maybe, the type of relationship that sharpens us. That iron on iron. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Here's my tendency. Can I just be honest with you? Here's my tendency. My tendency is to just, if I disagree with somebody, it's not always to get it to the table and talk about it and interact. Sometimes it's just, man, I'm just going to hold it to myself. Even if I believe that what, what my conviction is true, I'm not always going to go and I'm not always going to have that conversation. Because sometimes those conversations are hard to have, aren't they? Here's what's hard about them: We have to at least embrace and engage the thought, heaven forbid, that we might Be wrong. And if I never talk with anybody about it, I can sit in my little corner with people that always agree with me, never have a conversation with anybody that thinks different. And I can be under the illusion that I'm right. But here's what the Jerusalem Council does: they everybody brings their convictions and they lay them down and they say, let's talk about what's right, let's talk about what's true. And they meet face-to-face, and they have a conversation. Let me, show you, let me just give you three things they do. They hear each other. They hear each other. Can I propose maybe that some of you are walking through things in relationships and friendships, and maybe even a mar- in a marriage, where these few things could be life-giving to you. They sit down across the table, and they hear one another. Wow. They don't just talk. They listen. This is, this is pretty Crazy stuff. Revolutionary, right? They don't just talk. They listen. Two, they approach the conversation with a willingness to change. That's part of this fear, right, Of, of, of I might be wrong. If I allow other people to speak into my life, if I have these type of relationships, if I have these type of conversations, I might need to change some of the things that I think or believe not easy, huh? Not easy. It's far easier to just lob partial truths, isn't it? And make caricatures of the other person. And, and you, XY, you can go on and on and on than it is to sit across the table and actually hear and be open to maybe changing. Maybe changing. Now, don't get me wrong. They both go in with their convictions. They both go in with, this is what we believe to be true. And they lay it down and they say, let's align this with God's word and with the reality of what we've seen. Let's do that. I love the way that Ken Sandy in his great book, Peacemaking, puts it. He says this. He says, conflict is one of the many tools that God will use to help you develop a more Christ-like character. Man, but it's one of the tools I hate most, Right? Let me just be honest. Um, thank you for that, Lord. Really, if you could go about it in a less painful way, that might be helpful. But it's so true if you look back on your life. My guess is that these are the types of conversations that God has used to shape and to mold you. There's an honesty and respect about the way that goes about it. And finally, there's a, there's a mutual submission. They, they live out Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The early church, they, they live this out. They bring this to the table. I, I wonder for you in your life right now, are there any conversations that you're avoiding? Are there any sort of elephants in the room that need to be talked about? Are you willing to go there In friendships, in marriages, with your kids, are you willing to have that conversation that you know needs to be had? Can I just tell you, will you look up at me for just a second? We don't stumble into these type of relationships. We don't accidentally find ourselves there because everything in us wants to protect us. And sitting down across the table with people who may have a different position than us, a different perspective, a different belief, even if they're family invites a crash of sorts in our life. But I can tell you from the scriptures, it's one of the best things that the early church does. Can I invite you, pursue it. It's not easy, I get it. It's not easy, but pursue it. Here's the second picture we see. Um, Acts chapter 15. Verse thirty six. Second picture. First picture is that of a, a perfecting relationship, a relationship God uses to get inside our heart and our life and move us a step forward in our growth with him. Second picture, verse 36. This is after the church sends a letter, the Jerusalem church sends a letter to the Antioch church to say, here's what we decided. Here's what we decided. It's Jesus alone for salvation and you'd do well to follow these four things, they say. It says, and after some days which is typically the New Testament way of saying a really, really long time, okay? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and let's see how they are. So here's Paul, Paul's thrown it out. Hey, we went on one missionary journey. Let's go on a second. Now, just for context, they covered 1,300 miles in missionary journey number one. Over two years they spent with one another. I can imagine that maybe their relationship looked a little bit like um, planes, trains, and automobiles, right? It's like, are we ever going to get there? And I'm not sure how much I like you. But here's the, way, here's, here's the way that Barnabas responds. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. This is his cousin. Somebody who went with him for part of the first missionary journey that they went on. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. This is um, uh, sort of an an anger-filled argument in the Greek. So that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. I mean this is sad. We can read it and go, Yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it, that happened. But these are two people that deeply care about each other. These are two people that have literally walked with one another. They've been on ships together. They've prayed together. They've seen people healed together. They've gone into villages, preached the gospel together. They were stoned together. They, they got, I mean... These people, these men knew each other well and loved each other well. And so we have to enter a little bit deeper than just the surface reading of, yes, they went their own ways, but underneath it, this is a breakup of epic biblical proportions. I mean, if Taylor Swift were around back then, she would write about this one. She'd write a song. I mean, it would, uh, breaking up his heart, right? Um, or something. She would write a song. This is Sad. This is sad. Hey, newsflash. Um, maybe you've been in the church for less than like a month, so you don't know this yet. But, um, but Christians don't always get along with each other. And, and, and here's the other thing that I, that I know about you and about me is that we're going to walk through relationships like this in life. We are. It's part of living in a broken, fallen world where for whatever reason we can't come to terms Or for whatever reason, we can't move forward together. For Paul and Barnabas, it was over whether or not they should take John Mark, who had betrayed them as Paul saw it and probably as Barnabas saw it. I mean, he's just the um, optimist in the group. If we just encourage him a little bit, he'll come along, I'm sure. And Paul's like, I'm not taking that chance again. And they go their own ways. And you see, here's the deal. If we don't know that these type of relationships happen in life and happen in the church, then when we encounter them, they may cripple us. This is important, friends. Here's the second type. The first type of relationship is, is one that God uses to sort of perfect us and shape us. The other one is just simply a painful relationship. One where there's hurt. One where there's regret, Probably. And here's the fear, here's the fear. The fear anytime we let somebody really get to know us is that we open ourselves up to the potential of being hurt by them. Anytime we allow somebody to see into who we really are, to share our soul with them, to share the things that really matter to us, our hopes, our dreams, our longings, anytime we open ourselves up like that, this type of thing is a potential. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they walk through this. And it's a picture for us of, unfortunately, sometimes this happens. The question becomes for people like you and me, because here's our options. Here's our options. We can either, two things, we can either close ourselves off from this and say, because relationships sometimes end like this, or sometimes go like this, have seasons like this, I am not going to let anybody get to know me, one. Or two, I'm going to open myself up to being hurt. Not a lot of in between, friends. And unfortunately, because we experience this, a lot of people say, I'm not going there anymore. I think the biblical anecdote we get is this John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, and it says this There's no fear in love, but perfect love, so this is Jesus' love, casts out fears. Fear has, not, fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here, here's what John's saying. John's saying, listen, you can either protect yourself or you can know that the love of the Father protects you. So the way to open up, The way to, to just like Paul's gonna do and Barnabas is gonna continue to do, the way to walk through painful, broken relationships with a mind that says we're gonna keep walking forward, we're gonna keep our eyes on Jesus, is being convinced of the love of the Father, that it's an anchor for us that holds us true even in the pain of life. And here's, here's sort of the game we sometimes play in church. Here's the game we sometimes play, is if you've had broken relationships in the past, then you are disqualified for God's work in the future. Isn't it sad? I mean, but this is sometimes the narrative that we give out. You've got to be perfect to be used. Can I just tell you, if any of you are believing that lie, none of us are perfect, one. okay, None of us are perfect. And two, it's a lie from the pit of hell. That Jesus is in the redemption business. And he does that in Paul's life, and he does that, in Barnabas' life, and their relationship, quote-unquote, failure here does not mean their disqualification from kingdom work. It doesn't. These are two guys who have a disagreement, who, quote-unquote, break up. They go their opposite directions. They go their opposite ways, and both of them continue to be used mightily by God. Wow. Look at the way it is said in Acts, this passage we just read, starting in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement, a painful, intense argument, so they went their opposite directions. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away, but Paul chose Silas and departed. But before he departed, he, he was commended by the brother, brothers to the grace of the Lord. Here's the picture. is the church gathered around him, and the church put their arm around Paul. And Silas, and said, I know that went terribly wrong, but I want you to know God's grace is sufficient for you. I want you to know His presence is with you. And I want you to know we still believe in you, even though that thing is in your rearview mirror. And it's painful and it hurts. But friends, we cannot let the pain of our past prevent us from getting where God longs for us to go in our future. We can't. And unfortunately, sometimes, this is the way that relationships go. They go their separate ways. And we don't say that enough in church, do we? I mean, sometimes that's the reality that we live in. And, and I can just, just want to say to you, if you go, I'm in a marriage that I feel like is going that direction. Can you go to, to picture one first and get across the table and talk about it, please? The other, the other question we have is, well, what about forgiveness? What about forgiveness? I mean, doesn't the Bible talk about being a forgiving people? Yeah, yeah. In fact, Paul writes about it himself. Listen to what he writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. I'm going, um, how about taking your own advice, dude? As The Lord has forgiven you. Well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can I tell you that the things we often get wrong about forgiveness? Here, here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a canceling of a real or perceived debt that we think somebody owes us. You were wrong, so you owe me this. You hurt me, so you owe me this. You treated me poorly, and now I need something from you. Forgiveness is saying I don't need anything from you. All debts are canceled. Forgiven. I love the way, I love the way that the author, Lewis Smedes, puts it when he says this. He says, when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your life. You set a prisoner free, but you discover that the real prisoner was yourself. Right. But here's what forgiveness isn't. Here's what forgiveness isn't. And here's how it applies to, to Paul and Barnabas's situation. Because it's very possible that they forgave each other and went their separate ways. Here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Not the same. And forgiveness does not mean the relationship is restored to the way it was before. So I've interacted with people who feel like, well, I was was in an abusive relationship and I got out. But in order to forgive the person who's hurt me, it means that I need to go back to it. Can I just say that's not forgiveness? That's not what forgiveness demands of you. What it demands of you is saying, the debt is canceled, I'm not holding it over your head anymore. But it does not always mean That relationships are restored and brought back to the way that they once were. So who knows with Paul and Barnabas how that goes. If they did forgive each other, if they didn't, my guess is because they're both men that love Jesus and went preach Jesus that they did forgive each other. It just meant that even in forgiving each other, they went their separate ways. And can you just hear me? Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. It wasn't the end of the story for them. Because at the end of Paul's life, he says, hey, can you bring to me, can you bring to me John Mark? In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11, can you bring to me John Mark? The same John Mark that I said, I don't want anything to do with that dude. He ditched us. Can you bring him to me? Because he's useful to me. So, long-term perspective, friends. In the short term, some things are really painful and really hard and really difficult. And in the long term, sometimes God in his grace and in his mercy reaches down and redeems even those really dark, difficult things. Somehow he did so here. Picture one is of relationships that sharpen us. Picture two is of relationships that are painful. Picture three, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. It says, and Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, now, just by way of reminding you, I'm sure you remember, but just by way of reminding you, last time Paul was in Derby, Leicester, this region, he was stoned, um, insert joke about Colorado marijuana here, okay, he was stoned and drugged outside of the city because they thought he was dead, okay? Last time he was there. An extremely painful situation, verse Uh, Second part of verse 1. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. I don't know about you, but my tendency is if somebody hurts me to not go right back into something similar. (laughs) And what we see is Paul and Barnabas go separate ways and God does something in his heart and in his life to where he doesn't grow cold and he doesn't grow calloused. He remains open, and what God brings him is a partner that, if you read the rest of sort of his letters in the New Testament, a partner that he longed for, that he walked with, that was healthy, that was good, and so his, his um, tenacity to say, I'm not going to let this relationship go that went wrong define the way that I'm going to react in every situation freed him to walk into what we can say is this partnership type of relationship. See, a failure in one relationship can't make us cold to all others. You got to be discerning. I, I'm, I get that, but here's the fear. Here's the fear Acts 16 verses 1 through 5 speak into. The fear is, can I really commit to another person? I mean, even in this this friendship, can I I commit to this other person? Here's what Paul does with Timothy. He invests in him. He invests in him. He sends him two letters, at least, that are directly to him. Timothy, here's how you lead a church. Timothy, here's how you become a man of God. Timothy, here's how you lead um, people. Timothy, here's how you draw near to Jesus. And he gives him his heart on the pages of these scriptures. He invests in him. Here's the second thing he does. He encourages him. Listen to to the way that this plays out. In the second letter he writes to Timothy, he says this. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. He goes, Timothy, I see something in you. And Timothy, people laid hands on you. And Timothy, I saw it come to fruition. Don't neglect it, Timothy. Come on, I'm with you. Through the laying on of hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. What a beautiful picture of a partnership. Come on, Timothy, keep moving forward. And third, here's what he does. He believes in him. He believes in him. He invests in him. He encourages him. He believes in him. Listen to how he talks about Timothy to the Philippian church. He says, I hope in the Lord to send you Timothy soon so that i too may be cheered up by news of you for i have no one like him he says this is beautiful partnership isn't it i've no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare oh peter he's or, or, timothy he's just he's a, he's a stud and when he gets there i know you're going to be encouraged because he's amazing and he's awesome and and so hey we look up at me for just a second what if we were diligent about pursuing Friendships, relationships, marriages like this. We say we're willing to invest in people. We're willing to do the hard work of encouraging people. And we're willing to believe in people. Do you have friendships like that? Do you have relationships like that? And and here's the thing, normally we think of, do I have people like that building into me? Can I just say, um, in in all honesty and care for you, if your answer's no, my guess is you're not playing that role in anybody else's life. The best way to get this is to give it. And it's not going to happen by accident. You don't accidentally encourage people. You don't accidentally invest in people. And you don't accidentally believe in people. It happens when we choose by God's grace to walk into it. I pray that you will. And here's Timothy's reciprocation of it. He trusts him. He's with him. I mean, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I don't know what greater trust there is than letting somebody else circumcise you. I mean, that that that's one of those. I mean, you think a trust falls into I mean strength building, right? I mean, that's got nothing on that. But he's, he's what he does. It's this picture of, of Paul, I trust you. Paul, I'm with you. Paul, if you think this is best, I'm, I'm willing to go with you. Even though, hey, didn't you write a letter about that not being necessary? Can we talk about that for a second? And I think what Paul probably would have responded is, it's not necessary, but it's best. To the Jew, I became a Jew that I might win some to Christ. If it provides a little bit of a hearing with people that may otherwise close their ears, Timothy, are you with me in this? And Timothy goes, no, I need to pray about it first okay fine i'm with you i'm with you three pictures relationships that sharpen you by confronting you relationships that are painful because they break and partnerships where god graciously provides somebody to walk alongside of you can i tell you the, the perfecting relationships and the partnerships they 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 necessitate time energy, resources, investment, they're not gonna happen by accident. And to be the type of people that move forward from painful relationships, it requires time, energy, investment. It's not gonna happen by accident because the most natural thing is to just get stuck and crash and look at the debris along the road. But can I just tell you, God wants way better for you. God wants way better better for you. And so here's the invitation to you and to me this morning. The question I think God would ask is in the relational milieu that we live in, will we sink our anchor into the one who will not change? Will we invest our life and the one who will not change. Will we say to Jesus, Jesus, you are sufficient for us. You are enough for us. We're walking forward with you in a way that would honor you and love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're gonna trust you with the way that these things turn out. God, we're gonna invest in relationships where we can sharpen people and they can sharpen us, in partnerships where we can walk the journey of life and faith in Jesus together. And we're not gonna let the painful broken relationships that we'll all experience, we all will, to different degrees in life. We're not gonna let it take us out of the game. Too many of us have for too long. And I pray that the spirit might stir redemption in our hearts this morning. Let's pray. before you go I'm just running out of here let's let's just pause and will you just just take a deep breath will you ask the holy spirit which one of those little pictures he wants you to hear Search us, O oh God, and know us. We, we invite you. We implore you. Would you show us if there's any way that's wicked or offensive in us? Lord, I'm reminded of Paul's words in the book of Romans that as far as it's possible with us to live at peace uh, with all people, and so before we have these painful relationships, may we do our part, Lord. Before things Go in opposite directions. Can we do everything that's possible as far as it concerns us to live at peace with all people? Put that on our heart. Lord, for the time, for the energy, for the investment it takes to build lasting relationships where we're refined, give us that vision for our life, Lord. Help us make the sacrifices necessary to get at the table with people we may even disagree with. Lord, for those who are in this room this morning, and in their rearview mirror is a broken relationship, a painful relationship, one they wish they, that had gone a little bit differently. Lord, I lift my brothers and sisters up to you. May you remind them, Jesus, that your grace is sufficient, that their past has not determined their future, but that you do. Even if they've heard these doors are closed to you for whatever reason, would you remind them of the way that both Paul and Barnabas moved forward to beautifully build your kingdom by the power of your spirit? So for those who think that thought that they were out of the game, would you invite them back in? And Lord, for all of us, may we have a perspective big enough of who you are and of what you're doing to handle a faith that meets real life, real people, real joys, real hurts, real hopes, and real despairs, that the Jesus, you would be our anchor in it all, please. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.